This is Acts part 10, and it's called Simon the Sorcerer. Now, doesn't that get your attention? Simon the Sorcerer. Can't you just feel your skin tingling with fear? Anyone? Fear? Anyone? Anyone? Let's jump right in. This is, this is a long passage. Like last week, John uh, taught from a long passage, read through all of it. We're going to do the same thing. It'll take a few minutes to read. But it's a really, really important story for a number of reasons. So let's go through it together. I'm going to read it as it comes up on the overhead. Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed in Philip, believed Philip, I should say, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you For having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Isn't this this an absolutely interesting story? What's interesting about this story is that this is the first encounter in a clear-cut, unambiguous way between the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Satan. This is the illustration. This is the first incident where the church has to cope with this distinction between these two spiritual powers. And because it's the first, it's important. And we have a lot of lessons that we can take out of this passage. Interestingly, as I was reading through it with you, all sorts of revelation that's not in my notes was coming to me of things to say it's so rich but i'm going to avoid all those and stick with my notes because i think the notes are pretty good okay i want you to note this spiritual power apart from that which god gives through his holy spirit exists apart from god's 
spiritual power. Simon moved in spiritual power long before he decided to accept Jesus as Lord. So we know that there's something else out there besides the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting. Satan moved in spiritual power long after he stopped accepting Jesus as Lord. So spiritual power existed before creation. Spiritual power is part of creation. Satan was created by God and was endowed with great spiritual power. Humans were created by God and endowed with lesser spiritual power. Angels were created by God and they're somewhere in the middle. So we sort of have a spectrum of, call it the gift, the impartation, the endowment of spiritual power. Who's at the very top? God. Everything comes from God. So all of the spiritual power, which we see illustrated in the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, in the work of the Holy Spirit through us, the spiritual power evident in the demonic realms and the spiritual power of Satan, it all comes from God. It's the same source of spiritual power. It just goes down through the orders of creation. Who is the most powerful spiritual power apart from God? No, the Holy Spirit is a part of God. And Jesus is a part of God too. Satan. He is the high water mark of spiritual power given to a created being. But the power that he wields is from God. It was given to him as part of creation. All of this is nothing more to say than that all spiritual power comes from God. But what's interesting is that when Satan rebelled from God, God didn't take away his spiritual power. And when the angels, a third of the angels, went with Satan to rebel and were kicked out of heaven, God didn't take away their spiritual power. And when we as created humans seek to use whatever innate spiritual power is part of our creation, when we use it for wrong, when we use it for evil, when we use it for selfishness, God doesn't take that away. God leaves all of his creation free, intact, in the way that it was created. Why? All you're doing is putting a shotgun in the hands of a monkey. He's leaving rebellion equipped with the spiritual power it was created with. Why is he doing this? Because above everything else... He values our freedom, our sanctity as individuals. He leaves us as we were created, for better or for worse. Now here's a hint about how God's power is used. It's never manipulative. He leaves you free always to make your own choices and do with what you choose to do with your power, whatever that power might be. Spiritual, money, athletic ability, intellect, whatever. God's purpose is always freedom. And he's willing to pay the price of rebellion to keep you free because he values your individuality. He values your sanctity as an individual so much that he will risk all of this rebellion and decay 
to keep you free. The next point we want to look at is this. And this is really important. And people have confused this for, well, actually for hundreds of years. People have confused this point, And it's really important to understand it. And it's pure logic. Because all spiritual power comes from God, there is no difference. Listen very carefully. There is no difference between the nature of the power that Satan uses and the nature of the power that the Holy Spirit uses. Let that sink in. The power is the same. It has its source in God. This is why spiritual counterfeits exist. Their spiritual counterfeits are not fake power. They're real power. You with me? The reason God says we're not supposed to indulge in the occult and witchcraft is because it's real, not because it's not. Spiritual counterfeits exist because there's spiritual power from God being used in an illegitimate way. But we can't in the moment tell the difference. We can if we have what gift? Discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits might be, I think, in my opinion, discerning of spirits is the most neglected of the spiritual gifts. Because it's so fraught with potential error. You know, somebody running around the church pointing at people saying, that's not the power of God, that's a demon. Think of the confusion and trouble that that would cause. So we generally leave that gift alone. But the fact is, it's there to help us with this issue because power can be used in an ungodly fashion, making it a counterfeit. And it's hard to tell the difference because it's all the same power that came from God. The display of spiritual power will look similar, if not identical, but the entity motivating the spiritual power is either God through his Holy Spirit or it is demonic. And it's this similarity that allowed Simon to recognize Philip's display of power as real but greater than his. He'd been moving in a certain level of demonic spiritual power, and he sees Philip, and he's astounded. I mean, he's absolutely astounded. He's following him around all day long, every day, just watching, because he's recognizing something he's never experienced, which is a far greater spiritual power. Is it the spiritual power of Philip? No. It's the Holy Spirit that's moving through Philip. And Simon does the math and says, oh my, oh my God, is what he finally ended up saying. He says, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> I, I, know, I know spiritual power, I move in it, but this, this is astounding and I want it. So, if it's the same spiritual power, how do we tell the difference? What if you don't have the gift of discerning of spirits? Are there any clues from this passage that can help us discern where the power is coming from and whether it's safe or unsafe, good or bad, to be engaged in or to be avoided? 
And I think this passage tells us many things about how to tell the difference so that if you don't have the gift of discerning of spirits, you're going to be able to do it just by observation if you're very careful and and thoughtful. Here's the first one. And this is real clear from the passage. Simon used his spiritual power to make himself great in the eyes of people. Pride. He boasted that he was, quote-unquote, someone great, and he actually allowed the people to call him the great power of God. He personified and took it into his own identity, the great power of God. Now contrast this with Paul's reaction when the people tried to make him a god. Do you know that story where Paul's moving in miracles and they all, the people all start bowing down and they saying, these are gods, they're walking amongst us. These are gods. What did Paul say? What did he do immediately? Get up. Stop bowing down before us. I don't think you understand. We're just people, just like you. What you're looking at is the power of the Holy Spirit and it comes because of Jesus. Paul immediately, and Peter did the same thing too, immediately turns and says, you've got this very confused, this isn't about me. This is something flowing through me, but it's about God. And if there's glory to go anywhere, it's going up, not into me. So that's hint number one. Genuine spiritual power being used for godly purposes will be clothed in humility. And the glory will always go. To God. The purpose, on the other hand, of demonic spiritual power for the human practitioner is always to accumulate glory for the practitioner. It is always about increasing their personal power, their controlling those around them, their manipulation of the universe, physical forces. It's for their pride. It's for them. The purpose of spiritual power for Christians is always to accumulate glory for God. The purpose of spiritual power for Satan is always to enslave people and draw them away from God. He begins by offering spiritual power which he promises as a blessing, which is usually wealth, health, or fame. And for a short while, it works. I mean, if it, if it works because it's real spiritual power, right? It's not a fake healing. It's not a fake blessing. It, its source is wrong, and its purpose is wrong. So it's true for a while, and then the person becomes enslaved. They have welcomed an entity into their personality, into their lives, into their thinking, into their emotions, which sends out roots of corruption into every aspect of their personality until finally they lose themselves. They're completely controlled by this thing they thought was a blessing. God's spiritual power is always to set people free from that. From all of the destruction that comes from rejecting God's plan for them. 
Do you want to, you know, why, why is God powerful? Why does he move in power? It's to see to it that you can return to his plan for your life. That you can be free enough to return to his plan for your life because he knows how, how good it's going to be. And he loves you. He wants freedom from addictions, bondages to pride and control, manipulation, perversions, greed, fear, etc. In a word, he wants freedom from satanic power and oppression. He wants you free from your own selfishness. Next lesson we can draw from this passage, and this is going to, I think, offend some people, but so be it. There is a very ungodly relationship between spiritual power and money. It isn't clear from this passage, but it appears that Simon was probably living off of his sorcery. Without question, Simon associated money with spiritual power. When he saw the power of the Holy Spirit and saw it could be transferred by the laying on of hands, his first reaction was to buy it with money. You see the association? And one of the first promises that demonic power will make to you when it wants to work its way into your life is that it will bless you with wealth. And Peter calls this reaction wickedness, and he prophesies death to Simon. May you perish. I had a friend, he's dead now, but he was a world-class prophet. He, he, he started a movement and, uh, that still has churches all around the world. And um, he was in Hong Kong for about five days prophesying. Uh, and he was the, the Christians that were there in that meeting offered him money to prophesy what they wanted to hear. One man and his wife offered him uh, 15,000 U.S. dollars to prophesy the sale of their house. Someone else offered him $10,000 to prophesy something else. He told me that within the first two days of the conference, he had enough bribes to pay all of his expenses for his ministry and his family and everything for the, for the year. Just on the bribes that he was offered in the first two days of that conference. So I said, how much did you take? <laughs> he said, I didn't take a thing. In fact, I rebuked them. Told them that their hearts were wrong. And you can't use, this. it is not sorcery. It's not fortune telling. It's not about your power. It's not about your business deals. It's not about your wealth. He didn't take anything, and he just went on prophesying the truth. But there are prophetic people, quote-unquote, in the church today who are living off of and becoming wealthy on their prophetic words. Look, I'm not against people being paid in ministry. I mean, that's good. But you know how much temptation there is to go someplace and give them just what they want to hear? Let me tell you something. If you go someplace and give them what they don't want to hear, you'll never be invited back. You won't, because it's happened to me. You, you, you can't become seduced by money when you move in spiritual power. Because there's, listen, all money is is another form of power. You understand? Right? 
You cannot, you cannot replace God's power with the world's power, which is usually and most of the time money. You have to break that association. It's not that you can't take an honorarium or whatever what you do. That's appropriate. Paul says so in another passage. But these things cannot become one. It's so corrupting. Nothing corrupts the power of the Holy Spirit like money. Number three, Peter tells Simon, quote, You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. What Peter is saying is that the safe use of power of the Holy Spirit depends on a right heart before God. Now, what's a right heart before God? Anybody? Yeah, it's, it's integrity. It's saying what Jesus said before he died. Remember, Jesus was tempted to quit. I mean, I have to say this. Jesus said, I've been, uh, um, Hebrews says he was tempted in every way as we, as we were tempted. He was tempted to quit. And he said to his father, what can you do to get me out of this? Take this cup from my lips. I, I, I don't, I, I'm, I don't want to drink it. And he struggled through that temptation. And what did he say finally? Not my will, but your will be done. It's having what James calls an undivided heart, a single focus. You're not of two minds. You're about the kingdom of God. Listen, you need to understand this, and I I know many of you do, but some of you don't. Moving in the power of the Holy Spirit is absolutely intoxicating. There is no buzz like it. There isn't. It's absolutely intoxicating. Seeing a blind eye healed rocks your world. Seeing a leg grow in your hands rocks your world. Prophesying over total strangers and having them fall down and cry and get saved because of a word you give is intoxicating. There's a physical feeling of having the flow of the Holy Spirit going through you when it's moving in power. And believe me, you, don't, you know it. And it feels absolutely great. You can't touch the feeling. It's intoxicating. It is, for me, the feeling of being truly alive. There's no more alive moments than when you're in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Because you're feeling exactly what you were designed to feel. You're in the most perfect sense of this is who I really am. This is really my identity right now. This is what I was made for. There's nothing. I told you this story. I was, I was at a, my godson's wedding in Phoenix a number of years ago. And I hadn't seen all these friends from Canada. And they came down for the wedding. And they're very successful. A lot of them have made a truckload of money. And I'm sitting at the table with, with uh, four of them. And his wife said, um, when are you going to retire? And I thought about it for a second and I said, 
I'm not going to retire. And Steve, her husband, said, why not? Because, see, because for everybody else, that's the goal. See? That's the goal. You're this close to grasping the gold ring, which is doing whatever you want, because you, you, you can do it now. He said, why not? And I thought about it, and I, I, out of my mouth came, well, I'm, I'm doing what I was made for. Why would I stop? And I was tempted last year to retire. I turned 65 this week. Happy birthday. I turned 65 this week and <laughs> that I got here, yeah, that they let me live. This, this specimen should not live. Yeah, I, and, I, and I'm facing this, well, shall I retire? Shan't I retire? And I, I just realized once again, this is what I'm made for. I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to do it and keep on doing it. Hopefully do it till the day I die. And that's not radical Christian commitment. And that's not what a great Christian mark is. I'm fulfilling what I was designed to do. I couldn't be happier, people. This is what gives me joy. It's selfishness. It's big, fat selfishness. But God is a win-win God. He sets it up so that when he wins, you win. And when you win doing his thing, he wins too. He's a win-win God. It's not a sacrifice. It's a source of joy and life. If we just get that and give up and say, okay, I give up, I'm, I'm yours, do what you want with me, you'd find yourself saying, why did I take so long to do this? This is the best life I can imagine, and it is. Every day, I find myself saying to him, I can't believe that you let me, someone like me, do this. You are so kind and so good and so patient. Just, just just, discover what you're made to do and do it, and you will feel the flow of the Holy Spirit. And believe me, there's nothing that comes close. Nothing. But here's the dark side. That feeling is intoxicating. It is like a drug. It is. It is really endorphinic. Endorphinic. It makes you feel great. And you've got to keep in your head the only way to survive that drug with our souls intact is to be sold out and centered in the truth that our greatest reward is not the power but the person, Jesus. He is the reward. It's for him. There's a greater reward than even doing what you're made to do. And that's sharing life with who you were made to share life with. It's a, it's a relational reality, not a power reality. Finally, almost, point number four. Peter tells Simon, through a word of knowledge, through a gift of the Holy Spirit, acting, acting in that moment, Peter tells Simon, Simon, you are a captive to sin. You're a captive to sin. Now, here's the thing that's spooky about this. Peter tells Simon this after Simon has professed faith in Jesus. You with me? Simon has already professed faith in Jesus. 
But his heart is corrupt. It's divided. Still. And Simon says, you're a captive to sin. Now, there's a real important lesson for us. You can believe in Jesus and still be seduced by the powers of darkness. Wake up. You can be a Christian and still be seduced by the powers of darkness. There's a vigilance that needs to take place. And particularly as you move in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a vigilance that, we, that keeps us safe. Machiavelli said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He was talking about political power. But people, political power is nothing compared to the power of the Holy Spirit. The more spiritual power God allows to flow through us, the more centered in him we must be. To survive the power and what it can do to our personalities. And this brings us to the solution oftentimes. Peter finally tells Simon to, and it's real simple, quote unquote, repent. Recognize you are in a troubled area. Recognize you're not single in your focus. Recognized. You are double-minded. Just recognize it and say, God, help me, I'm sorry. And he is always committed to doing that. And this is always the solution to going off track. Next, Simon had a lot of things to repent of, greed and pride being the main two. And I think he was pretty addicted to the power. There isn't any trouble you can get into that repentance won't fix. There isn't any temptation that's beating you up that repentance won't fix. And it's not a groveling self-hate. You know, a good 20 minutes or maybe an hour of real real passionate self-hate and, and, and pouring that out before the Lord and I'll be okay. All it is is just realizing the truth, changing your mind and saying, I don't want to be that way anymore. God, help me to change. I think the biggest problem we have with spiritual power isn't the money side. I think it's the pride, you know. I think it's really easy to think you're really special when God uses you to do something special. You confuse the something special with you. It's just really easy. Spiritual pride, you know. I mean, and you'll find more spiritual pride around those that are highly gifted. The more gifted you are, the more you cope with spiritual pride. The more power flows through you, the more you cope with spiritual pride. You ever been in a church where someone was disciplined for pride? I mean, we rail rail over people for, you know, all sorts of other things, but we never correct them for pride. Why not? It's the most destructive of all the sins. It destroys relationships more than anything else. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the most universal one to fall prey to. Why don't we say, hey, buddy, I love you. You've got a problem with pride. Why don't we ever say that? Hmm? <laughs> then we would feel prideful for having the insight of saying that he was prideful and being used by God to correct a prideful person would make me kind of feel special. 
Gosh, Jerry, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that moment just in my imagination. Wow, I feel better about myself already. I will. I do. Okay, number six. This is a conclusion that is just self-evident, but it, it bears to be said. It goes without saying that all occult power is off limits for Christians. Don't mess with it. If you've been involved in magic and occult activity or Satanism of any sort, you need to repent of it and renounce its power in your life. And if there is residual spirits hanging around, you can't deal with the temptation and you find some lingering effect of this, you need to find someone to talk to and repent and maybe have some demons cast out. But don't forget this. You could take this message, which has been largely negative, about the dangers, the confusion between spiritual power used by God and spiritual power used by Satan, you could easily take that and say, well, you know what? I'm sure not going to go there. I'll just avoid the whole thing by avoiding using any spiritual power at all. People do that, Gary. You know that. You know they will. (laughs) I had this friend. uh, This is back in the old days before we encountered the Holy Spirit. We were doing a men's retreat at this camp, and, and he was one of the funniest guys I've ever known. Hilarious guy. Loved being around him. Made me laugh all the time. And I said, uh, you should be the MC for this weekend. You'd be fantastic. These guys come in, they're going to love you. He goes, oh, I don't know. No, no, you can. You, you can do it. So he did it. He was hilarious. He would get up to do announcements, and guys were rolling on the floor with laughter. He was awesome. Afterwards, I, I couldn't have been happier. I thought, man, we found our MC for the rest of our lives. This is going to be good. So I went to him and I said, Chris, uh, you were amazing. He goes, yeah, I know. I said, uh, we're going to do this again. He goes, no, I'll never do this again. I said, what? He said, oh, no, no, I, 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 I'm not going to do this again. I said, why not? He said, you wouldn't believe how much I've had to cope with pride. I went off on him. I don't yell at people very often. I started yelling at him. I said, who do you think you are to deny a gift God has created you for? Which was one of the best things about this weekend that these guys will remember. Who are you to say you're not going to use it anymore because you have to cope with pride? I said, you are so selfish. I said, every time I teach a good message, I got to cope with pride and you were better than me. You made this weekend. All you're going to do now is repent like the rest of us do on a regular occasion, but you're going to keep using your gift because God gave it to you and you're responsible to use it. We were close enough as friends that I could say those things. Don't let the fear keep you from the real thing. You can't opt out. You were made for spiritual power. We are designed by God to move in his spiritual power. We should seek to move in supernatural spiritual power. We should ask for it. We should desire it, Paul says. We should risk for it. Keeping in mind, stay centered in the Lord as you're doing it. You'll be fine. But we are destined to be powerful spiritual beings. Okay? Okay, I was really hoping we'd end early, and we are. So what I'd like to do is have a Q&A time, because I think this message stirs up a lot of 
a lot of questions and a lot of comments. So, shoot. Was Simon okay after he acknowledged that he needed to repent? I don't think he comes up again in the story. But it appears that he did. Because he said, pray for me that these things you've accurately prophesied about my heart and my fate will not come true. So either he was motivated by fear towards repentance or he actually saw the truth of it. But I'm, I'm hoping he saw the truth of it. And turned around. Any other questions? Comments? Phrase that another way. I mean that guy you're talking about? No, I think, I, I think at first Simon interpreted Philip's power through his own understanding and experience, which is demonic. He just thought it was a superior, like, boy, here's someone that has the same thing I have, only a whole lot more. Wow, I, I want to get this. I want to operate at that level. And I think that was purely selfish. But then he was rebuked, right? Like... <laughs> You're so wrong. You're way off track. You are, you're corrupt. You're, you're in sin. Your heart is not pure. I think then he realized, I'm not operating the way these guys operate. The power is the same, but their motives are very different than my motives, and my heart isn't like their heart. And, and I, think that, I think that if he turns and repents at that point, he's good to go with the rest of them. And look, guys, God puts up with a huge amount of corruption in us as we serve him. Nobody's heart is pure. My heart's never been pure. I've had a couple of pure moments, but usually there's always some mixed motives in there somewhere. That doesn't disqualify us. In fact, in many ways, it qualifies us. But being honest about it is really important. If you can be honest and say, you know, Lord, I, I am tempted towards this, or I do feel proud sometimes, and I, and, and I do sense the tug to use this for my own advantage, and I found myself doing it the other day, Lord, forgive me. He goes, yes. He doesn't even discuss it. He goes, yes. And then he convicts you the next time you do it. You don't have to be perfect to move in power. You just have to understand the dangers. Yeah, that's really good. Gary just said, and it doesn't negate the impact on the other person. God is so interested in blessing people, he will use you to do it. With all of our corruption and brokenness and, and everything else, he'll still, 
You see, this is, no, this, no, thank you. This is really important. The early Pentecostal movements and a lot of the charismatic movements have made a terrible mistake. They have confused power with holiness. Do you understand? They've done this. They've said, uh, when the power of God is moving through me, it must mean that I'm holy. Because why would God use an unholy vessel for holy purposes? You with me? So what happens is they and the people they're ministering to assume that they're holy people because a holy God is flowing through them. So now their personal holiness, commitment to the Lord, time spent with him, meditation, prayer, discipline, self-control, all these things that really do define how to be wholehearted. I want you to think of holiness not as some kind of weird thing in the Old Testament. I want you to think of holiness as wholeheartedness. Complete, wholehearted devotion to God. That's holiness. And when power is flowing through you, there's a temptation to to let those things go. They're not that important. Look, God's using me anyway. I must be okay with him. And that break between holiness and power is the reason why so many of these charismatic leaders in the church history in America, particularly since Azusa Street, ended in adultery, ended in... Uh, thieving money ended in crazy, bizarre uh, heresies, de- doctrines taught by demons, the Bible calls them, because they associated power with holiness and didn't understand that they're two different things. The solution to moving in great spiritual power is holiness. That's what keeps you safe. It's a devotion to the Lord. That inner life that has nothing to do with what you do on the outside. It has everything to do with who you are inside and the state of your relationship with God. Does that make sense? Keep that correct and you're safe with huge amounts of power. Neglect that and power is going to wreck your life. But it will still bless everyone you talk to. Everyone you pray. They're getting healed. They're getting healed. Through the power flowing through you and your heart is impure. God's not going to deny him the healing because of your heart. But don't think that because he got healed, you're in good shape with God. You're not. You're in good shape with God if you're in good shape with God. They're two different things. Chris. Uh, always yeah Chris's point is really good it's that faith is the operating key that turns on the power you see Simon had faith in the power flowing through him it was it was demonically inspired and and for demonic purposes but he he could he could let it flow through him because he believed in it we can let the power of God flow through us because we believe in it but that doesn't mean our relationship with God is necessarily good Right? I think, I think we nailed that. Yes? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of two. Um, Philip, Peter just did it with Simon. 
And Paul did it when he was, I'm trying to remember where he was, but you know, I think you know the story. He's just done a great miracle and the people bow down and begin worshiping him. Oh, in fact, the exact words of the people are, these are gods walking amongst us. If, if I'm remembering correctly. And immediately, immediately, Paul says, stop it. Get up, get up, get up. Don't do that anymore. I was in northern Russia. And we were at an orphanage. 92, 93. And a girl who was blind was healed through our prayer in about 25 minutes. I mean, she was blind, and when it was over, she saw. And this was an orphanage run by Orthodox Catholic, Eastern Orthodox nuns. And when they saw this, they got down on their knees, and they started kissing my hand. I mean, really. They got down on their knees, and they thought a saint had come. And I said, get up. And they got up, and I got down on my knees and kissed their hands. And I said, I don't think you understand. We're all saints. You just need to learn how to do this. And we'll teach you how to do this because we're leaving soon. And you've got a whole orphanage full of kids, many of whom are sick. This needs to keep going. You can learn how to do this. See, people react, people react that way to spiritually powerful people. They, they put them on a pedestal and think they're really special. When you surround yourself, hello, this is the Lord speaking prophetically right now, I sense it. When you surround yourself with yes men that think you're wonderful because of your giftedness, they will never confront you on your character. And you are in trouble. You need people around you who are not enamored with the gift, who are able to say, well, that's just the Holy Spirit. He's an idiot. That's what they say about me. That's, you know, that's the Holy Spirit here, but he's just a buffoon. I know him. And they tell you when you're out of line. So you're safe. The more power in your life, surround yourself with people that aren't impressed. Make it an inverse proportion. The less impressed they are, the more you need them as friends. Any, anybody else? Yeah, occult practices, masquerading as entertainment. Ouija boards, seances, you know, casting spells, um, channeling good spirits. Look, every single one of these activities is demonic. It's not entertainment. It's just not. And if you have had these activities in your past... Even drive-bys. Get down on your knees before the Lord and speak out loud into the air and say, I am a Christian. I renounce my past involvement with these occultic activities. I recognize them as demonic. I rebuke their power in my life. I break any connection they have with the person I am today. And I repent of my involvement. And if voices keep coming and temptations you can't control keep coming, and you find yourself harassed, there's still something there that needs to be dealt with. And you can come and talk to us, and we'll send you to Gary and Kathy. And they will help you. And also, sozo is a really good thing to do. 
inner healing because if you dry up the swamp, the mosquitoes leave. If you remove the circumstances which allowed those bad things to be there in the first place, which is inner healing, which is sozo, dealing with those things, then there's nothing for those spirits to grip their dirty little talons on when they try to stay. So a combination of inner healing, sozo, uh, repentance, and deliverance will clean up the problem. But these things are not entertainment. I mean, just stay away from them. Don't let a fortune teller tell you your fortune. But don't be afraid of them. We had a psychic fair in our city many years ago in, in, in uh, Canada. It was a huge thing. They had a huge convention center full of psychics and demons and, all, and everything. And the women in our church who are spirit-filled said, we're going to take a booth. We're going to have a booth down there. Prophecy booth. Amongst the fortune tellers and the witches. And I said, it's a great idea. So they set up on a Friday night. They had their little booth, free prophecies from God. 24 women became Christians that weekend. 24. With accurate prophecies that rocked them. It was like Simon. It was like, you know, know, these these little cult guys are kind of moving at this level. And then the girls from our church are moving at this level. And people are going, oh, that's really good. How did you do that? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. We don't fear. We don't fear these things. Just don't practice them. Okay. Okay. We are one more. <laughs> um, you mentioned that the discerning of spirits is really neglected here. Yes. It, it seems easy to look at a situation like this and act and say, well, that's clearly the devil. You know, it's animistic. It's, it's different than our society. So, how would the expression of that gift look like to a normal person? How does the, discern, the gift of the discerning of spirits? operate most of the time in our world today and in our churches. Well, we, but, but that's part of it. Um, we had a new girl come to our church back in Canada. And within three weeks of coming... Two of the other women and a third later came to me and said, there's something seriously wrong with that girl. And I didn't see anything wrong with her, really. She seemed to be committed and she was full of life and very happy and everything else. And these women came and said, no, there's a, there's a sexual spirit over her that's really corrupt. And sure enough, there was. And oftentimes the people with the gift of discerning of the spirits don't know they have it. They just know there's something really off with that person and their guard goes up. And they're usually ashamed to say it out loud because it's slanderous to accuse somebody of something. And if they're good, decent people, they'll be very slow to point a finger and say that person's operating in an evil spirit. But what they ought to do, and we learned this, was... They came to me and said, there's something wrong with that girl. And after the third person came within 10 days or so, and they hadn't been talking to each other, colluding, they had a burden on their heart about this. And they came to me and said, I, I, and they were reluctant. They were like, I hate to say this. I've never done this before, but there's something wrong with her. And I started watching and really paying attention and don't elevate her into ministry or put her on any teams until you've watched. Sure enough, She was sleeping with guys to witness to them. 
She was, she was having sex with non-Christian guys and calling it evangelism because she told them about Jesus afterwards. It's not okay. Seriously, that's what she was doing. And it was a whole bunch. It wasn't just a few. You're either crazy or you're demonized, okay? So it operates by... By the fruits, you will judge them. If you really pay attention to people and you watch how they're behaving, you'll see whether their hearts are singular for God or not. And, and, and if there's something a little goofy and they're sort of off in the twilight some of the time and sort of getting hyper-spiritual with weird things, but it doesn't really sound like the Bible, you know, good hint there's a problem there. But we should... The point of what I was trying to say, Stephanie... When you have a discernment, what you think is a discernment about somebody, take it to your leaders. Because they are responsible before God for the administration of the gifts in the body. They're the ones that have to make the hard decisions. Give the intelligence, the military intelligence you're receiving to your leaders. It's now their responsibility, not yours. You can relax. And then they'll do what they need to do. You know, Mark, one one of the... Discerning of spirits, we always think of it on the negative side. It's also on the positive side regarding the Holy Spirit. And, and you'll see the giftings of, of someone, you know, the Holy Spirit in somebody's mm, life. That's really good. Gary just said that I've been dealing with the negative, discerning of spirits, seeing the negative. But the gift also sees the potential in people and the giftedness in people before they even discover it themselves. So you can begin calling them out into their identity, into their ministry into what they were made for. It was a very, very positive way of seeing it. Thank you. Oh, yeah, the discerning of spirits in the workplace outside of the church is even more valuable because you can, the Lord can reveal to you problems in people that aren't Christians, and, it's, and the source is a demonic thing. They're addicted to something. They're attached. They're, they're dabbling in something they shouldn't. We had a girl become a Christian because she was at college and she was having trance moments when she would be, be not conscious of her behavior and she was beating people up in, in the, in the um, dining hall and at parties. And she was going to be expelled. So the chaplain called me in and said, will you interview her? We don't know what's going on. And we spent a long time together and outpoured her occult past. I mean, she, oh, was, I won't even say some of the things that she was involved in. She was hooked. She was thoroughly 100% demonized. She did not know what she was doing in these trances. And when she'd come out of it, the police were taking her to jail. And she'd say, I didn't do that. And he'd say, well, we have, you know, 80 witnesses that say you did. And she was about to be expelled. And she said, I, want, I don't want to be expelled. I don't want this in my life. And we, we discovered all the witchcraft and everything else. And I said to her, Normally, I would say we would just cast these spirits out of you and you would be fine. But they're so ingrained and it goes so deep. You need to become a Christian. We can force them to go right now. But as soon as you leave this room, they're going to come right back and your life is going to be hell again. And I said to her, you don't just need to become a Christian. You're going to be a super Christian. Because if you don't worship like crazy, if you're not part of a small group, if you're not in a spirit-filled church, I mean, I laid it out and said, these are the things you've got to do to stay safe because you're in so much trouble. I've never seen one as bad as you, is what it came down to. And I said, and this is very serious. This is not a small commitment I'm calling to you. This is a complete change of life. 
So I don't even want you to make a decision today. Go home and think about it. I did. I said, don't make a decision today. It would be irresponsible. You need to really think this through because you're going to have to be a real Christian or you're in trouble. And, and she went and two weeks later, she made an appointment and came back and she said, I'm ready to do it. I want to be a Christian because I want this to stop in my life. And, and Wayne and I, uh, I mean, um, can't remember his first name. We led her to the Lord. And she got saved. And she went and joined a small group. She got into a spirit-filled church. She was reading the Bible and and going to worship things and stuff like that. She never had the problem again. It never returned. She finished her university. Everything was fine. But she had to step right across the line because she was so completely permeated with this that she'd lost her freedom. And she'd lost her freedom. She could hardly choose. Fortunately, there was enough will left to choose, and she chose Jesus. Well, this has been really interesting. Yeah. All right. I know this is negative, but let's just do this, okay? Let's ask the Lord to reveal any area of our life in our past where we dabbled with or brushed up against or became influenced by occult activity. Let's just ask him to clean house for a minute, all right? Close your eyes. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to each of us anything we need to renounce, anything we need to admit is wrong or was wrong, and just renounce and be free of? Holy Spirit, please reveal what what it is, if it's there. Now, if he's shown you something, let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I recognize my involvement with spiritual power that is not from you. And I'm sorry. And I want it out of my life. And I renounce those things as demonic. And I say no to them right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I break in Jesus' name any connection between those activities and the Christian I am today. I renounce them completely. And I welcome the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus and the Father to take full residence in me and occupy every place and clean every memory and sanctify me for my use for my Heavenly Father's glory. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the authority of Jesus. And I ask you, Father, give me more spiritual power from the Holy Spirit and overcome fear in my life so that I can be used to my full potential 
to move in your Holy Spirit power for your glory and your kingdom. Amen. Okay, we're done. Let's do it. Would you lead us in?